This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Sexual discrimination has been illegal in the United States since 1964. But last week, the Supreme Court changed the definition of sex to include gender identity and sexual orientation. The implications of this landmark decision are enormous. Alliance Defending Freedom attorney Matt Sharp and I discuss the implications of this ruling. And now today's Fast Track. A pro-life organization has been blocked from running a pro-life All Life Matters ad in a local newspaper. The paper claimed the ad was racist. The Rockford Family Initiative, an Illinois-based pro-life organization, attempted to place the pro-life ad in a local newspaper, the Rockford Register Star. The ad depicts a picture of an unborn baby with the words, All Lives Matter, above the picture. Originally, the newspaper agreed to run the ad, but it later refused, however, asking that the wording be changed since it was racist. The Register Star sales manager told the Rockford Family Initiative that All Lives Matter is seen as racist to the black community. The U.S. Department of Justice sent a letter to New York City Democrat Mayor Bill de Blasio on Monday calling out the hypocrisy of enforcing COVID-19 restrictions against religious gatherings while giving a pass to crowded Black Lives Matter protests. The letter reads, Mayor de Blasio's recent public statements and enforcement of COVID-19 orders have demonstrated a troubling preference for First Amendment rights over others. New York City had vigorously enforced restrictions on religious gatherings, including sending police officers to disperse numerous gatherings of the Jewish community, including outdoor funerals. At the same time, Mayor de Blasio marched in a large in-person political gathering concerning the recent tragic death of George Floyd and made statements suggesting, in a manner forbidden by the First Amendment, that religious exercise was less valued and protected by New York City than by political exercise. Planned Parenthood and the American Civil Liberties Union have filed a lawsuit against a new law in Iowa that requires mothers to wait at least 24 hours after their initial appointment before getting an abortion. As reported by KCCI 8 News, the law, which was passed earlier this month, also requires mothers to view an ultrasound of their baby and receive adoption information. The legislation was made public on the evening of June 13th and pushed through by Republicans in the early hour of June 14th. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine signed a bill into law expanding the religious freedom for students in public schools that was criticized by the American Civil Liberties Union. The Student Religious Liberties Act, introduced in March of last year, passed with near unanimous vote, but it was signed on Friday. The new law clarifies that students can pray, wear religious clothing, meet on school grounds, and express their faith in school, as long as they're not disruptive. The law will also abolish restrictions on students from engaging in religious expression and completion of homework, artwork, or other assignments. Critics of the bill say it could allow students to avoid penalties for scientifically wrong answers. World Liter News Digest will be back right after these messages. 
You're listening to World Lutheran News Digest, hosted by Kip Allen, during KFUO share 2020. Your support of KFUO is vital for us to carry out this work of proclaiming the good news of Christ for you and providing resources like World Lutheran News Digest, so you have news with a World Lutheran view. You can pledge your support if you're listening live today, 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're listening anytime, you can make a gift online at kfuo.org slash you can find the donate button there or make a gift by text, sending the message KFUO to the number 41444. That's 41444 is the number you're sending the message to and type in KFUO as the message. And you'll, we'll send you a response right back that'll walk you through the process to make that gift safely and securely on your mobile device. More World Lutheran News Digest now. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The Supreme Court ruled five to four recently to redefine the term sex to get away from the biological definition of it to include such things as sexual orientation and gender identity. This has enormous repercussions to the world. Now, supposedly, according to the ruling, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act will give some protection to faith agencies, but who knows? On the line with me today is Mr. Matt Sharp, who is an attorney with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Mr. Sharp, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, Matt, can you tell the audience what your role was in this ruling? I understand that you were heavily involved in it. Yeah, well, you know, ADF is an organization. We we represented Harris Funeral Home, one of the uh, three individual organizations in this case. Um, Harris Funeral Home in particular had a uh, longstanding policy that as they were serving grieving families, uh, they required their employees to wear uh, appropriate dress. So men needed to wear a suit, women needed to wear dresses or nice uh, female dress clothes. And one of their uh, employees, uh, Anthony Stevens, uh, one day announced that he was going to start identifying as a female and wanted to start wearing female attire. And Harris said, look, you know, what you do on your time is your business, but when you're on the clock working for us, we need you to dress in a men's clothing as appropriate uh, to serve our grieving families. And uh, Stevens refused, and so they parted ways. And next thing you know, Harris is being sued, saying, you discriminated based on my gender identity. Um, you, you would not let me dress like I wanted to and sued for it. And so the case came down to whether the federal law, Title VII, that bans discrimination on the basis of sex and employment now encompasses gender identity and sexual orientation in the two other cases involved. And so ADF and our attorneys, uh, we were all working to defend Harris Funeral Home and really ultimately defend their ability to rely on what the law says. Uh, for over 60 years, Title VII has allowed employers to have dress codes like this, and the understanding has been very simple, and we were working to defend that long-standing long understanding of the uh, term. Uh, a couple of things here. One is that my understanding is that Harris did not use a religious exemption as a reason for challenging it up to the Supreme Court. And secondly, the principal in this case is now deceased. Does that make it moot? Well, so on the, the latter, the court uh, allowed Stephen's spouse to step into 
uh, Stephen's shoes in the case. And so that allowed the case to keep going, essentially saying, um, even though Stevens is now deceased, that his state uh, gets to step in and vindicate his claims in the case. Um, on the, the first one about the, the religious liberty issue, uh, when we were looking at this case, our thought was it shouldn't be that only religious employers or religious organizations uh, or funeral home like Harris that's owned by a devout Christian family, they shouldn't be the only ones that get protected or that can rely on the longstanding meaning of sex under Title VII. That ought to be applicable to everyone. And so looking at court and, and how things are set up, thought was we want to make sure that this proper understanding of federal law applies universally across the board to everyone and not just to religious entities. Okay, I see that uh, I see the point there. Uh, unfortunately, we've got this the, the with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, Justice Gorsuch, I think fudged a little bit, not saying that this will give blanket uh, protection for religious institutions. Also, uh, right after this ruling, the uh, Democrats in the U.S. Senate attempted to pass the Unity Act, which specifically negates the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. That's right. It is, uh, for decades, RIFRA has been an important protection for religious liberty. And one of the ways I view this, in Justice Gorsuch, in his majority opinion, uh, he described RIFRA as a, a super statute, I think was the words he used. Um, to provide protections to religious organizations uh, that may be impacted by this ruling. And I think we ought to take him at his word. Um, I think this is going to show there are going to be coming battles of the extent of the ruling in this case and what it means for uh, churches and religious nonprofits and religious schools. Um, but if the majority opinion, and remember, this was, you know, six of the justices that signed on to this all agree that RIFRA is a super statute. Uh, that provides protection, we ought to take them at their, at their word and use it to its fullest extent to continue to do it. But that does show to your point why it is more important than ever for Congress to stand firm and not do anything to roll back the protections provided by RIFRA. Let's uh, roll back a little bit and look at the impact on the secular world. What does this mean in terms of, for example, women's sports? What does it mean in terms of locker room access and restroom access in public schools? What does it mean for a public gathering? Yeah, I, I think that's a lot of the issues that are being debated and that are going to be litigated. Uh, there's some that look at this and say, this is a very uh, focused ruling on Title VII, and they look at Gorsuch's on words and say, uh, you know, this is a case uh, that is about Title VII in the employment context. We are not ruling on how this may impact showers, locker rooms, restrooms, women's sports, et cetera. Uh, and I think there's merit to that, uh, to say, um, just because the ruling may have one way here, there are other instances, like in sports, like in restrooms, where biological sex does matter, where there may be a strong government interest in preserving those, even in light of this decision. Um, but there are others that look at this and say, oh, well, you know, the, if the, the reasoning that applies here be applied in other cases. But I think from ADF's perspective, we look at it and say, um, we are not going to uh, just sit back and say, well, this is now a foregone conclusion, but we think there are strong government interest in protecting restrooms, protecting women's sports that we're going to continue to advocate for, um, regardless of how courts look at this. The, the, the. Well, I understand your advocacy, but 
hasn't this sort of let the genie out of the lamp? You know, I, I, I don't entirely think that that's true. Um, the, the majority opinion specifically says we're not changing the meaning of sex. It still talks about sex in terms of there being male and female, um, but rather is looking to say, well, when you treat someone different because of their sexual orientation or gender identify, you are considering their biological sex. And so I think it's, it's important for us to, to recognize, look, this was you know, a, a troublesome decision and that, that rightfully we can call it so, and, and as Justice Alito called it, um, you know, legislating from the bench, but at the same time of not making it more than it is and recognizing that, um, again, those six justices were very careful to not say we're redefining sex or to, to throw away that meaning, but rather um, shoehorning some of these other concepts in and, and I think we've got to hold them to that. And I don't think I would tell employers to say, you know, does this mean you can't have men's changing room and women's changing room? No, you still have an interest and a duty to protect your employees' privacy and safety. And I can't look at anything specifically in the language of the opinion that says otherwise. Well, I would certainly hope that would be the case, but I want to hark back to the Obergefell decision, which legalized gay marriage, among other things. And uh, there were a lot of unintended consequences to that. Justice Thomas warned of it. Justice Alito warned of it. And indeed, we're seeing that today. My concern is that we're going to see the same thing here with the Bostock decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are, are reasonable concerns. And I know Justice Alito in his dissent pointed out a lot of those of, of similar things to what we saw in Obergefell in similar cases of, of the, the warnings of what might happen. Um, but I take that to say um, Alito working to, to restrain and cabin in the impact of this decision and even to signal the lower courts that you should not interpret this case to mean more than it says on its face. Um, and I would also say, you know, we, we've seen instances in the past and we talk about RIFRA. Um, let's not forget that RIFRA was the result of a decision uh, authored by Justice Scalia that rolled back religious liberty that a lot of people rightfully pointed to, to say, this is really bad for the free exercise of religion. And in response, we got RIFRA, and we actually have had more progress in protecting religious liberty since then. And maybe this case is going to work out the same way, that the, the shock of the outcome and the response to it, these concerns that Alito raised and that you're bringing up, um, actually result in more protections for religious liberty, more protections for religious organizations, more protections for the biological differences between male and female and why there are times that it matters in society. And so that's my, my optimistic push on all of this is that this could actually, um, while well, set back, and I don't want to say otherwise, but uh, could actually be one of those cases that becomes a catalyst for better protecting those in law and in judicial decisions. Well, let's unpack the Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act a little bit. What does this guarantee to people? What does it allow? What doesn't it allow? Uh, so Religious Freedom Restoration Act was, as I mentioned, correcting a decision uh, in a case called Employment Division versus Smith. And what that case held was that the government can enact a law that burdens religion, that, that hinders someone's ability to live out their faith, as long as it is applied equally to everybody. If you're targeting religion, you can't do that. But if you pass a law that has the same impact on a religious person as a non-religious person, that's permissible. Um, and it shocked a lot of people because you could think of, we could all contemplate a lot of laws that would burden religion in a way that would 
hinder our ability to live out our faith. When response, Congress, a uh, very bar- bipartisan uh, approach said, no, we're going to roll that back. And, and so what RIFRA does is say, anytime the, go- the government does something, a law, a policy, burdens religion, that hinders the ability of people of faith to practice their faith, the government has to show that it has a compelling reason, like public health or safety, and that the way it's pursuing that law is narrowly tailored to accomplish its goal, that, that you're not sweeping in a lot of protected things to accomplish what it's trying to do. So the end of the matter is it is really hard for the government to burden religion under RIFRA. Um, it has to show that there is some really high interest to do so. So a great example was the Hobby Lobby case where Hobby Lobby and other businesses said, we don't want to pay for contraception, abortion-inducing drugs that violate our religious faith. And the court ruled in Hobby Lobby's favor and said, if the government wants to do this, there are less burdensome ways to do so. The government itself can can set up dispensers for these medications, these abortion-inducing drugs, but you can't force a religiously-owned company like Hobby Lobby or the others to pay for it. So it shows that RIFRA provides meaningful protection so that if anything the government does makes a religious person unable to live out their faith fully, even in something like paying for abortion-inducing drugs in a healthcare plan, that it protects religious organizations, gives them their day in court to show why the government can't do that. Well, bringing it down more to the local level, um, and I work directly for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and we do have exceptions where we will we will give preferences to people of that faith or ask that they adhere to the teachings of the faith. And we are permitted in certain cases not to hire or not to hire or defer to people who refuse to to refuse to affirm our faith. Is that how the RF is that how our RIFA works? Uh RIFRA is part of that. So so two aspects. One is Title VII, the, the law at issue in uh, the Bostic case, specifically allows religious organizations, whether for-profit, non-profit, to hire people that share their faith. And so that's the first protection that uh, the Lutheran Church has in being able to do that. And the same would apply to any ministries or non-profits affiliated with the church. And secondly, there you do have a RIFRA that provides additional protections on top of that, um, so that if there was some other government regulations, you know, say say a requirement that if if the church wants to participate in a uh, government funding for uh, meals for the homeless, and it says if you want to participate in this program, uh, you've got to give up your right to hire only people of the Lutheran faith. RIFRA would step in there and say, no, you're burdening the church's ability to live out their faith. You can't do that. Uh, that is not necessary to accomplish your goal of feeding the homeless. So we've actually got two strong protections that are still in existence and that Justice Gorsuch specifically cited to in his opinion as providing protections for organizations like that. Well, we still see a lot of discrimination. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of, uh, of uh, Sharon L. Versus, uh, versus Philadelphia, where the city there has said to Catholic uh, social services, well, we're not going to let you participate in our foster parent program because you believe that marriage is only between a man and a woman and you will not adopt to a gay couple. Now, this seems to me to be a direct contradiction to the to ARIFA. Right. So the 
The one issue is um, there's a Supreme Court case that said RFRA only applies to the federal government uh, when it is doing something that burdens religion. And so in that case, you've got the city of Philadelphia um, doing it. And so the courts have said, unless there's a state version RFRA, uh, which I think about 20 states have enacted, um, that that is not a protection for you. The federal RFRA doesn't apply to that. It would only apply if the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services was telling this adoption agency. Um, but I, I think we look at a case like that and we say, maybe that in response to this Bostic decision, we see the court also extend and broaden protections in cases like that um, to make sure that what Philadelphia is doing, even if not subject to the federal RFRA, still violates the free exercise rights of um, the, the Catholic social services in Philadelphia and their ability to help children find a forever home. Uh, so I, I see cases like that as the court took it. Um, and, and a lot of times you see a case like that where we had a loss for Catholic social services and the court takes it. And it's an opportunity to correct that wrong and to actually uh, provide more protections for religious liberty movement. Well, my understanding is that case is now working its way through. In fact, I think it's up uh, before the Supreme Court. It could be an error on that. So maybe this will be some kind of a ruling that uh, will finally straighten that out. I, I am, as a layman, you know, I look at this and I say, oh, gee, isn't federal law supreme over state law? And if there's a contradiction, federal law should apply. And here we have this ruling with RIFA that... Uh, Gee, this is only for certain specific federal groups. It does not apply to the individual states. And I question how that, that happens. Again, remember, I'm a, I'm a layman, so maybe I just don't get the legality of this. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, it, yeah, for, from sort of a conservative perspective, um, we're big fans of federalism. Uh, we want states to have more control. And so when courts look at something like this and Congress passes a law like RIFRA, in order for it to apply to the states, to, to bind the states in an area that only the states are supposed to govern, uh, courts say there's got to be some connection. And, and the court said there's really not one here, um, that, that we don't want the federal government always being able to micromanage every aspect of a state. And so there are times where you know, the federal government can do regulations that apply to the state, usually when there's money involved. So they'll say, you know, you want this $10 million grant that you have to follow this law. Um, but with the case of RIFRA, there, there's no financial connection or anything like that. And so that's where the court said, this is where federalism rules and where we have to allow states to set their own policy um, when it comes to providing more protections for religious liberty. While the First Amendment provides sort of a floor of protection, um, the court said states can go beyond that, um, but the federal government can't force them to. And so it, it shows why, while there's a lot of things that need to be done at the federal level, a lot of the battles for religious liberty are at the state level, um, where state legislators and local people in a state can really have an impact. And that's why there was, shortly after the federal RIFRA passed and the U.S. Supreme Court said, you know, this only applies to the federal gov government, not against states. There was a big move among states to pass similar laws. And, and I think in, in light of this Bostock ruling, uh, we may see more states take that up and to say, wow, religious freedom is, is very fragile. And uh, are we making sure that within our state, we're doing everything necessary to protect it? 
Um, so yeah, federal rules usually trump, but uh, a lot of times the burden falls on states to take up the mantle and provide meaningful protections for people of faith. And yet we're seeing increasingly uh, from a state level and municipal level uh, applying, uh, if I may say, double standards on certain religious uh, religious gatherings. Uh, I'm thinking specifically yeah. in the state of Nevada, where it's uh, perfectly okay to go to <laughs> a casino, but there are restrictions on, on church services. This just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> uh, completely agree with that. And, and to me, that's a great example of why uh, laws like a state RIFRA are necessary. Um, you obviously have the, the Federal Department of Justice that has uh, weighed in on some of these cases. I know filed a, a statement about California's differential treatment um, and has done so in other states. Um, and to point out that that's legally problematic, but um, you know, you continue to have states do that exact disfavorable treatment, um, treating casinos better than churches. Uh, so that shows why even at the state level, there, there has to be a bigger push to restrain the government's hand and make sure that uh, those types of differential treatment is not allowed. Uh, but there is litigation um, ongoing in that. ADF is involved in a case um, specifically in Nevada, and uh, we're going to continue to fight for churches to be able to not be subject to that differential treatment, not be burdened in a way um, that is not uh, specifically tied to health and safety when you've got casinos wide open and, and churches being told that they're uh, limited in what they can do to spiritually nourish their congregations. Well, we certainly live in interesting times. <laughs> Matt, I want to thank you so much for appearing on the program here and trying to unpack some of these issues. Uh, it's a very complicated issue, and, and uh, people like me who really don't understand the law, we need, to we need to look at this and see what's going on and what it means, and I think that you've been doing that, and certainly ADF is very much in the forefront in the fight for religious liberty. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank ADF, and again, thank you so much for being on World Lutheran News Digest. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.